0: Tell me, does it seem lately like people around you are hesitant to discuss Christianity? I'm Mike Sullivan and ever since I was a kid I've been fascinated with history and theology and I'm inviting a new conversation to explore those questions about Christianity that you've always wondered about but never really felt comfortable asking. Together we'll boldly look into the historical accuracy of everything we've been taught in order to understand where these ideas really came from as we separate fact from myth, and more deeply explore the messages and mindsets that make up the true core of this faith. I'm Mike Sullivan, and welcome to The Origins of Christianity. Five, four,
1: three,
0: two. I know. And we're live. (laughs) Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to part five of our YouTube series on The Origins of Christianity. (laughs) <laughs> if you're watching this, you've seen probably some of our prior episodes. You didn't probably just jump in the middle, so I'm not going to feel the need to repeat everything we've done so far too much. Yeah. But by way of brief introduction, Mike Sullivan here, attorney at law, likes theology, reads it for fun in his spare time, <laughs> <laughs> which makes me a cool guy in the eyes of the youth. Um, accompanying me is Demetrius Sullivan, and Loyola Marymount University um, senior.
2: this is no no
0: (laughs) she's been holding on to that cat for half an hour trying to make sure he was in the shot
2: he made it so that's all (laughs) that that's floyd
0: floyd the cat that's floyd and uh this is sam kelty demetria's friend demetria's my daughter sam's her best friend and Sort of True a that. quasi-uncle status for me and Sam here. We've known each other for a long time. Long time. And so we're gonna talk about the origins of Christianity, but first we get to get the updates, as we always do on The Love Life. He's, that was the old Southern money.
1: <laughs> He's great.
0: You guys still doing the old, the long-term? If life, you're so watching this, life? we
1: don't call you that. No, yet. we don't, <laughs> yeah. we don't. It goes back a long time to oh, get to that.
0: That's good. Title. And how's but Frederick? That was eating plastic. <laughs> uh, we want the cat to eat plastic.
1: How's Frederick? How's Frederick? Who's Frederick?
0: I decided to call all your boyfriends Frederick because oh, they don't last long enough. And I'm tired fair. of learning all these new names.
2: Oh, my God. Well, I hope Frederick doesn't <laughs> see this.
0: <laughs> so you're still with the same dude? Yeah. Really? The young one?
2: The young one. Yeah, Grand. two years younger. Cougar. 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 And Sam's going after my ex-boyfriend.
0: That was a, that's a lie. That's it is a lie. It is a that lie. a lie. Actually, that's lie. All right. I'm so anyway, girl. we are deep into this. We talked about belief systems, and we talked about the evidence for Jesus' existence, and we talked about how Jesus was in his society, and he pissed everybody off. Right. Right? And we talked about his core message last time, which was love. Gotta have the love, man. You're right. Yeah. So that's what was going on. Today, we're, getting, we're winding into our last couple episodes, and today we're going to talk about resurrection and death, ah. and what we actually know about that and what we don't know about that this is going to be somewhat challenging, because here's the thing about resurrection. People don't do that. (laughs) Have you noticed this?
1: I have. Yeah.
0: People don't generally come back from the dead. And we have decided to be objective, right, and to have a historical critical method. So what does that mean about people coming back from the dead? didn't happen right <laughs> it goes, so it it goes yeah. yeah it goes hand <laughs> in hand with the, the problem of miracles which you never we haven't talked about yet but Jesus did a whole bunch of miracles so it's it's an issue um, we have to start with the assumption that that people operate according to natural laws because we think we know this right we live it all day common sense do people do you see miracles happening no no, no. and all of science is based on miracles not happening like right. miracles don't happen Right? The universe operates according to natural laws. We use the scientific method to explore it. It's effective. It works. We got penicillin. We went to the moon. Right? Okay. So to say then that supernatural events occur and God comes in time and makes the natural laws stop is not something we're prepared to do if we're going to use our sworn methodology, which may surprise you because you would think that me being a Christian, I would be promoting the idea that miracles occur.
2: But this is an unbiased search.
0: It's an unbiased search. There is, I mean, look, there's cause for wonder about life in general. Like the Big Bang, for example. Like how did that, what was that exactly? Yeah. Like everything being, coming out of an infinitely small point, including time itself. Um, oh, uh, the, what is it, the simulation hypothesis?
2: Oh, yeah, that's my fave.
0: Yeah, we talked about that. we were all living in a simulation. Mm-hmm the properties of quantum mechanics entanglement where something will happen to two separate particles at different ends of the universe at mm-hmm. the exactly the same time, defying all known laws of physics.
2: Seems legit.
0: So there is, there's some cause for wonder about not necessarily supernatural intervention, but what is really going on here? Yeah. And thus the limitations of science. Um, we could just look at miracles and say, well, you know what? It's all fake, right? It's all superstitious stuff. Didn't happen, that end of subject. But that wouldn't really get us very far in the origins, when we're trying to understand the origins of Christianity because miracles for them are different than miracles for us. So I wanna at least understand that. Um, Sam, you. you had a homework assignment. I did. <laughs> and you're gonna tell about the mythic mentality, which was, the, for most of human existence, the mythic mentality, before the scientific revolution, the mythic mentality dominated. This is how people thought. What is it?
1: Um, The mythic mentality is when people (laughs) anthropomorphize. (laughs)
0: Anthropomorphize?
1: Anthropomorphize. What does it mean? To, like, make an inanimate object. Like, you put, like, real human traits into it.
0: Human motivations, human consciousness into things that are actually inanimate. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So give me an example, like what would ancient people do?
1: Um, we were just talking about this. Like, they would think <coughs> that, like, if they needed a tree to grow, like, there was a spirit inside of the tree that they had to, like, nurture.
0: Right. They pray to the gods. Or, like, or the, the God rain gods
1: or something. Yeah. They needed, yeah. like, water.
0: Right. Or if it's thunder and lightning, then the gods are angry.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: there's spirits in everything.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's how they saw the universe. Right. Can you even imagine thinking that way? No. I can imagine being on a, I was once on a camping trip and I was looking at this mountain. I was sitting next to it for like half an hour. I was just sitting there and it was a mountain. And I had this imaginative thought where the mountain was saying, I have been here for a thousand <laughs> years. What drugs were you on? not any <laughs> drugs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you can kind of feel it. It's like, it's been here for a thousand years. It doesn't care if I'm here or not. Right?
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. Or we're talking about when we went to Greece mm-hmm. and then there was this chapel on the top of the hill and the woman it was in Cyprus and the woman there were like if you go into the sacristy women aren't allowed back there they'll turn into a pillar of salt and they totally believed it yeah right so I don't know man it's and you go if you go like to the really primitive civilizations in the rainforest or whatever this is how they think so well if I do this and the gods might be angry if I do that then the gods will be happy um, the gods obviously want me to do this because this happened um, there's a god of the trees, there's a god of the mountain, there's a god of the air, there's a god. This is everything is a personality. Everything is a relationship, right? <coughs> so this is how most, this is how ancient people think, man. And it wasn't until the scientific revolution that things changed. Mm-hmm. So what's the, what's the science? What's the modern viewpoint on this? I mean, how is it working with this with science? Uh, do you know? I mean, how do we see the world?
2: We look empirically. We do, don't we? Yeah.
0: We look around. We don't ascribe personality or motivations to things. We just look at the laws of nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we have hypotheses. We have control groups and regular groups, and we use the scientific method, and it works, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Freaking works, and we're right. It's better to see it the way we see it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But it's not as personal. I mean, it's not as personal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if, if the lightning bolt came down when you're in, to an ancient person and hits. Your wife and kills her well the gods just punished you yeah and it's something you'd be angry about and you would think why would i confuse the gods now we just say this is what life is mm-hmm. yeah so it's, or or good things too like if your child got into you know your child did something good and got an award or something you would think oh well the gods favor favor you know this my child but in, in the present environment we think all oh, the kid's just good so we live in a more detached mm-hmm. environment so it's important when we talk about miracle stories to understand this, I think, because in that time, you know, everything was a miracle. Everything was personal. It was about a relationship with the spirits and the gods, and that was just normal, right? So it's like you got out of bed in the morning, ate toast, you know, that wasn't any more miraculous than somebody making toast out of thin air because there was no there was no distinction between like a natural world and a supernatural invention. Oh, here comes Floyd. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> want come back. So. They always come back.
0: There are kind of limitations with science though, right? I mean, are there? Does science have limitations? Yeah. Why? What is it? What does science not study?
1: Spirituality. Things like they can't see, yeah. I feel like.
0: That's not material.
1: That's not like concrete that they can be like, that's that.
0: Yeah, that's true. But you know, I argue about this with my friend who's a rocket scientist all the time, Chris. Mm-hmm. I like talking to him about it. He says, well, I say, well, like, science can't understand like, your meaningfulness. Like what means things to you? We have subjective experience. So if like, I love somebody, that's not the province of science. Yeah. And they'll say no, because it's all about brain chemistry. And you can, as long as you can understand brain chemistry enough that you could understand that in terms of its material reality. And I say, yeah, but we still have subjective experiences. Like, you could know my brain chemistry, but I'm actually having the experience of being in love with somebody. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a real thing, just like understanding the material reality is a real thing. He says, no, that's just an epiphenomenon. That's just, that it's Occam's razor, and that's not meaningful. You can only understand things in terms of their material reality. And Some scientists think that way. Yeah. You know? Others don't. Others think, well, thoughts, feelings, meaning... Uh, spirituality, uh, emotional states—we can study it. Uh, we can study its material manifestations, yes. But science in it is, in and of itself, a philosophy that by using this method we can understand material reality, right? But that's a philosophy. It's not proven by science per se. Anyway, it gets pretty heavy, and and so, but science wasn't. Look, they didn't have psychology. They didn't have. The, any understanding of the unconscious mind. They thought if someone was insane, because there was an evil spirit in them. You know, there was no disconnect between the spirit world and the human world. They didn't have um, any idea about natural law per se. Mm-hmm. It just didn't exist. It was their whole reality. It was just totally different, you know? So when you, I think the miracle stories have to be looked at in light of that. The gospels, as we talked about before, they're not objective documents, they're preaching. They're, they're there to preach, convert, get someone into to believe something. So they were written by mytholog- mythological people with a mythological mindset for a mythological audience. Yeah. So I think when you look at, at um, but you know, myths not a bad thing either. I mean, there's a lot of benefit to myths. Like psychologists, anthropologists, psycho- uh, sociologists, you know, they've seen that cultures create myths, you know, the stories that underpin, underpin the society, and it kind of it helps people establish meaning and effectuate social integrations. So, I you don't know what I was remembering the other day. It uh, was so like when you were a little tiny girl,
1: mm.
0: and we would take a bath together, the bubble bath, mm. and um, you'd always say, Dad, tell me about the boy who cried wolf. <laughs> Do you remember this at all? Yeah. I told you that like a hundred times, right? <laughs> and at the very end, I would, the boy, of course, cried wolf, and he had done it too many times, and the villagers don't come, and I would <laughs> say, and the wolf ate him. And you'd go like this. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> So what's happening there is that there's a story and there's truth in it, even though it's not historically factually accurate, it doesn't really matter. The point is, is that you're learning an idea illustrated by a story. Mm-hmm. And these myths um, are just part of the human construct. We use them individually and as a society in order to understand the meaning of things or the patterns of life, even and whether or not they're actually represented in historical reality is kind of not the point,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? So, if you look at miracles, I think that's kind of the best context to understand it. Um, Jesus walked on the water.
2: Ah,
0: walking on the water. But we know that Jesus didn't really walk on water, right? Because you can't walk on water. Um, He cured blindness, lameness, the deaf and the dumb, hemorrhages, Um, he turned water into wine, he fed 5,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread. All of these miracle stories, you know, um, they can't be true in a literal historical sense, but they carried meaning for the authors. You know, they were trying to convey, um, they're trying to convey a point about what Jesus was, what his message was, what his life was, what their experience with him was. In those times, miracles, it was taken for granted by everybody that miracles existed and happened constantly. And so they weren't really an assertion of some supernatural intervention so much as a, a way to point to something is like wow look at that that's cool you know like that that's impressive you know there's like a um, inexplicable a sense of wonder you know like we get when we look out at the stars and we see 400 billion or 200 billion galaxies and they each one 200 billion suns many of which have planets and we just go wow i mean it's not a <laughs> Is that a miracle? Yeah. But we're kind of full of wonder as we should be because yeah. that is amazing stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we don't really understand like existentially, where, where, where does that come from? What does that mean? This is the sort of reality that was occurring at the time for the, in the minds of the people that were there. These are unsophisticated popular narratives um, which were meant to call forth admiring belief um, in who Jesus was and was he What could be said historically, not that much, I mean, like I said, we we don't have they didn't have psychology back then. So, but you know, we we understand that physical inju- illnesses and injuries they have overlay with psychological realities, right? You know this. You're you're a psych major. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the psychology of a person is so dispositive of so many, so much of what's going on in their life. So you could well, you have a cold, right? Yeah. Yeah, but you're. Like I said you're not a man so you're not laying in bed crying.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you don't have the man cold.
2: Yeah.
0: Right but but so you're like it's all what did you say before we started? It's all in the attitude or approach or Yeah, it's in mindset. your mindset. It's your mindset, right? Yeah. 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 So and there's psychosomatic illnesses. There's um, there's physical illnesses that are overlaid with psychological realities. And so you could see a strong charismatic person like Jesus coming in and saying, you know, <laughs> and you're feeling better, you know, just yeah. by virtue of the psychological adjustment. But I don't know. It's all speculation. Um, certainly, Jesus at, at the time was charged by his opponents with doing magic, you know, curing people when he wasn't supposed to, especially on the Sabbath, which <laughs> was when he wasn't supposed to work, right? Uh, so it's like that. You guys are like this. Uh, these, obviously, these miracle stories were enhanced in the oral tradition, right? So um, remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 Um over the, like, the from the earlier writings to the later writings, it, the one story is 4,000, and the next version it's 5,000, and the next version it's 5,000, and then there was 12 baskets left over. Mm-hmm. So you can see, like, you know, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. In the first story, he cures one blind man, and the second, he cures two. And the first story, he cures one possessed person possessed by a demon, second, two, and they go into the pigs, and the pigs runs over the cliff. Yeah, these are obviously stories made up along the way. Many of these stories could have been borrowed from other cultures. For example, um, turning water into wine was a well-known Dionysian cult miracle. Mm -hmm. And it's not mentioned in any of the gospels until John, which is a hundred years after Jesus' birth. So, you know, it could have been that they were borrowing, these stories got mixed up and they were borrowing from other cultures. Mm -hmm. Also, um, there was Roman miracles when Jesus spat in the, in the dirt and made mud, and put it on the blind guy's eyes and healed him. You know, that's a story that comes from Roman miracles from the moment, Roman gods, as well as the man carrying his bed after he gets cured, came from the Romans. Mm-hmm. There was Old Testament miracles that are, you see in the gospels, which could have been borrowed from that. Um, walking on the water, multiplication of the lobes, raising of the dead. You know, in light of, you know, it could have, a lot of the stuff is just made up in order to tell the story which we know is a big part of the Gospels. But we, I think that's how we have to look at the mar- miracles. It, it was is a mythological attempt at narrative in order to gather, um, in order to garner an understanding and appreciation of Jesus' and Jesus' method. I think that's what it was. It wasn't like an, a physical event in time any more than would be allowable within natural laws. Um, I think that's what we have to think. Although, I think a lot of like more fundamentalist Christians might have an issue with that. Yeah. Right? Well, I feel but like from the an whole objective point. perspective is, you know, it, it's different. A better question might be, why were they telling these stories? I'm sorry, what were you gonna say?
2: I, have, I just feel like the main point of the New Testament is that like Jesus was crucified because he was like doing miracles and like all that stuff. So if the miracles aren't real. Then, like, why, is well, Jesus supposed to be a symbol too? Like, did Jesus not really exist?
0: Well, we have to, well, we, talk, we, have to, we talked about that a little bit earlier, right? No. Um, he wasn't crucified because he did miracles. You know, why was he crucified?
2: Oh, because he was going against the Romans, not the Romans, or whoever it was
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Catholic school. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we talked about it last time, I'm about to talk about his death next, yeah, so we can get into that but um yeah or i just feel
2: like a lot of christianity is taken from other religions yeah
0: well certainly a lot of these stories could have been right
2: like this cat will be taken into my arms
0: yeah gonna i don't think the cat is gonna tolerate this too much like i said a better question is what why are these stories in here and what are they supposed to convey because that's really why they were put in the text So you might say, one thing that's noticeable is that Jesus was always curing the weak and the sick and the neglected and the socially outcast. That's who he was focused on. And we saw this right in the before. Remember, Mm -hmm. Jesus' God was the God of the abandoned, the God of the lost. Jesus liked the sinners instead of the saints. Jesus liked the low instead of the high. Yeah, That was his thing. And those are the people he was always focused on. He never did a miracle for himself. It was always for other people. Um, I saw this quote from the, Qumran? I think I say that right. Remember I said that the the Essenes lived in the mountains and they were monks and we found it in 1949. They found all the writings from them and they were monks and they were a a holy society. Mm -hmm. We talked about that. This was a quote from one of their scrolls about who could come in and it said no madman or lunatic or simpleton or fool no blind man or maimed or lame or deaf man and no minor shall enter into the community. Right? This is the opposite of what Jesus was doing though with his miracles. Those are exactly the people that he was trying to help. Um, When he was on the cross, they said, oh, you can't even get yourself down from the cross. And he didn't. And then they said, the Pharisees would challenge him. Oh, you can do miracles, let's see one. And he wouldn't do it, right? So there's nothing self-promoting about Jesus. And I think that the if there's meaning in these miracle stories, they, they come to, the meaning comes to fruition in light of the message that we talked about, uh, that we've been talking about for the last two sessions, right? Mm-hmm. So that's really what I think those miracles were, were about. Hmm. How are you doing with the cat?
2: <laughs> <laughs> He's deciding what he wants.
0: Um, so they're not proofs, but they're indications of Christi- what Christianity was about. And then there, of course, there's the big one, which is the resurrection.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, isn't that central to Christianity? Yes. Yes. Well, we're gonna talk about that. But first, you gotta die before you can be resurrected. I don't know if you've noticed this. <laughs> I feel like my, my attention is being stolen by a cat.
2: I'm sorry. <laughs> he's being really sweet.
0: Yeah, he's a sweet cat. He's a good cat. He's like the best cat I've Should ever. Should I had. put
2: him away?
0: No, he's fine. Let him be. He adds color Look at to the his story. that <laughs> no, his tail <laughs>
2: He's feeling the Jesus vibes, that's for sure.
0: Yep, he's in. <laughs> so anyway, okay, when, when Jesus died, what do we really know about it? And here's the thing, we don't know almost anything. Like the details of the passion, mm-hmm. Jesus goes into Jerusalem and they're all everyone's happy to see him and he's on a donkey, right? Mm-hmm. Then a week later, the crowds like crucify him, they don't like him. The chief priests turn him over to the Romans. Pontius Pilate, he didn't know what to do with it. He didn't want the... Jews to be unhappy so he said I wash my hands of this he had a big conversation with Jesus and Jesus says if I am not of this kingdom if I were my my servants would come and save me yeah this whole story and then carrying the cross you know all of this is viewed by modern scholars as you know a literary narrative meaning like they don't really know the details of this stuff they just don't so all this stuff was kind of like a tradition that arose the oral tradition and eventually was Fleshed out of the Gospels, but as for his historical accuracy, I, I think a lot of it is we just don't know. It's told for to make a point, not necessarily to relay historical truth. I mean, mm-hmm. it could have happened, but it seems extremely speculative. It's a literary; it's a, it reads like a story. Yeah. You know, so entrance into Jerusalem, going to another country, his execution. We don't know the details of it. The the Gospels have all these predictions of his death, where Jesus says the temple must be knocked down, and I'll raise it in three days or well, the son of man must suffer and die. And, and the, but these are also the way you tell a story, right? So you'll say, look at this. you know, they drop little hints along the way. And then the audience is like, what's going to happen next? You know, mm-hmm. and then it comes to the end. So they don't think those things are historically accurate either. It's, and then they come to the last supper. It's, it's doubtful that Jesus really knew what was coming. Um, it was a surprise by all accounts when Judas came up and betrayed him. Yeah. Uh, so was there a last supper? Um, well, Jesus had a lot of suppers with his disciples. There may indeed have been a last supper, but the, the key is he's like, this is my body, this is my blood, and then he says, do this, and he commands them to do this to remember him. Paul references that twice, but that actually, the command to do this in memory of him doesn't exist in the Gospels. So it's really unknown as to what was going on. We do know that like immediately after Jesus died in the early Christian communities, they were doing it. So there's evidence of that. We can say that Jesus must have known that he was playing a very risky game. I mean, we had a whole session with the four different groups and like how he was making everybody mad. Like not just mad, but really mad. I mean, look at history. What do we normally do with people that go around talking about love and truth and challenging the authorities that be? Kill them. Yeah, we kill them, right? <laughs> the authorities don't tolerate that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Socrates is a great example. He went to death, why did they kill Socrates? For corrupting the youth, right? He's corrupting the youth. It's like, hey, all I'm doing is telling the truth about what's going on. And they're like, sorry. Uh. Right? And Jesus was doing it. He was deliberately moving into a provocative space. He's in constant combat with the people whose credibility was on the line and who were trying to protect the order of society. So he was playing, and you know, by all accounts, he was brave. He was really brave. Um, had a lot of courage because, man, you got to think, they're going to kill you for this stuff if you don't knock it off. <laughs> and they did. They really did kill him so that, So we know that uh, at least we know that much you know you look at the the stories of the passion jesus being executed between two thieves i mean that's a very that's like a picture right Mm -hmm. right and we we have oh what's obviously not historical jesus dies this the the curtain and is torn in half and the skies go dark this is a story right this isn't these are obviously not historically true or the soldier says truly this was the son of god yeah story a um, lot of references to the Old Testament. We can see that the authors were trying to tie in the prophecies of the Old Testament with the New. So um, the, there was like references to what the, what would happen to the Messiah. So him riding an ass into Jerusalem and, and his clothes being divided by lots. They're predicted in the Old Testament. So obviously they were put in the New Testament stories mm. um, in order to affect. So these gospels stories were written. All these things were sort of, I don't want to say made up, but they were, they were, These stories are created as literary devices to make a point about the nature of what Jesus was and what he went through. But we just don't know if they're historically accurate or not. What is believable? Um, It's believable that the disciples all ran away. (laughs) (laughs) They all ran away. And the story about Peter denying Jesus three times, remember that story? Yeah. Jesus is like, you will deny me three times before the cock crows. And he did. (laughs) He did, he denied him three times and that just had to suck for Jesus. You know? <laughs> like your best friend is like you're like gonna get executed, your best friend's like oh, no, I don't know, I don't know, I guy, not me. You know that's probably believable because Peter was a church leader, and that's in there. Yeah. And that would be against Peter's interest for it to be in the gospel. Uh, what else is believable? Um, that the Jewish authorities handed him over to a reluctant Pilate. Um, he probably was accused of being king of the Jews. You know the thing above the. It says I-N-R-I, I am the king of the Jews. Mm-hmm. They used to do that when they, they would um, crucify people. So that's probably believable. It's probably also believable that he fell when he was carrying the cross and this guy named Simon was conscripted to help him carrying the cross up the hill. The reason that's probably believable is because that's just a detail that doesn't need to be in there. So where else would it come from? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, kind of a thing. But other than that, we just don't know. So I'm reporting, and reporting on like what we know and don't know the origins of Christianity. The answer is not much about the actual death, but we do know what it meant, what it must've meant for the people at the time, in Jesus's time when he died like that. Um, these are the people that have followed him for years, that loved him, believed in him, you know, and they were scared shitless and they all scattered. It's it's interesting to compare the death of Jesus to other great world religion founders like uh, Moses, Confucius, and Buddha. They all died as old men, admired and loved, in their sleep, successful, you know, accepted by society. Uh, Muhammad from Islam actually died in a harem, uh, in the arms of his favorite wife.
1: Oh, <laughs> good for him.
0: <laughs> yeah. So at least he had some love there. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Probably more than many, (laughs) but not Jesus. Jesus went down in the most atrocious and cruel ways. One of the most um, brutal ways to kill someone that man's ingenious cruelty has ever come up with. I mean, they nail you, can you imagine that? You know, they nail you to a piece of wood and hang you there till you die of suffocation. And it's just as painful physically as it can get. And not only that, he is forsaken. Right, he was forsaken by all of his friends, I and mean, they all left him, they all denied him. They're just saving, just saving their own skins. So, that wasn't so good. That's a lot different than the Buddha. Um,
1: <laughs> the Buddha.
0: I have here, and the thing about it is, it was a failure of his, of his mission. Like, his, his enemies triumphed. He, his whole mission, to, his whole message, he failed. And they captured him and they killed him. So I have here the heretic, was condemned. The prophet was disowned. The seducer of the people was unmasked. The law had triumphed over a blasphemer. And when he died, he cried out in despair. Right? He, they record the record is that he he cries out like, "Why have you, God? Why have you abandoned me?" He's he's alone. He's like so alone. You know, he's and he's dying, and it really sucks. Um, he had talked about God as Abba the Father, like a loving parent who'd never give up in you and always be there for you and was especially there for you, there for you when you're down, you know? Um, but God left him in the lurch. He wasn't there. Um, they talked about the God of the forsaken and the abandoned. Nope, God wasn't there. And he had talked about God who completely forgives and God who's always in bonds and who's close with you. It's kind of like if if you were getting gang raped Jesus, and i was standing there watching and you're like dad help me and i was just like <laughs> you know what i mean
1: oh my god it's such a bad image
0: <laughs> it's a terrible image but that's what it was but i'm, I'm doing it on purpose because that's what it's like i mean he's like he's he's a, he's so alone you know we've all kind of felt that way i think in our lives at some point or another it's like you just feel really alone like nobody cares about you and you don't even know if you care about yourself you know and so yesterday and it was a failure his failure was complete it's like everything he was saying about god everything he was saying about how to live everything he was he he lost and in the eyes of the people of the time you know being caught and executed meant you were wrong like you were you know, every, you were wrong. I mean, obviously, you are. You got captured and killed. You're just dead. Your disciples are scattered. So, but then, but then, something happened. Was <laughs> so funny? I'm excited. <laughs> but then,
2: something, something happened.
0: happened. <laughs> something yeah. happened because within a matter of days, there's all these people that are all scattered. They're scared. They're being hunted and something turned, something changed. You know, this, ex, this resurrection experience happened. So the, all these disciples, all of Jesus' followers, they changed from scared running rabbits into like strong, advocating, mission-oriented, you know, gathered people. And they went out and changed the whole world. You know, it's like, it's, they think of it as an, this is what they call the, the res, resurrection enigma the, the, they're filled with energy, they change just radically within a few days. They gather together, they start marshalling their forces, they're, they're, and they're saying to the whole world, Jesus is risen, Jesus is risen, right? And they're all excited, and they believe it, and they're into it. And So something happened there. Um, and then it got, infected, it got infectious, they all started living according to um, you know, Jesus' message of how to treat one another, and the word spread, and the world... And then we get Paul you know, Paul, he freaking hated Christians. He held the coats of the people that threw the stone, the Stephen guy to death, right?
2: It was he, Saul, a Pharisee who hated Christianity and killed Christians left and right till he was blinded by a light.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then one day, one night, he has some kind of experience, like spiritual experience, and he changes completely. He becomes the most aggressive advocate for Christianity. He goes all over the world and establishes Christian churches everywhere. He completely changes in one, for one experience. It's like he saw this light, he got knocked off his horse and there's what Jesus is, and he's like, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, <laughs> ah! right? And this is Paul's account. We don't know because we weren't Paul. But, but see, this was, this was what was happening. People were claiming this kind of experience and then they were tra- changing from scared little rabbits into like people on a mission. Because they had this experience, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, here's the thing about the resurrection.
1: It's a People load. don't rise
0: from the dead. <laughs> right? What did you say?
1: I said it's a loaded.
0: It's a loaded. Poo-poo, you a said. Poo-poo. Yeah. The idea that somebody gets up from a grave and walks out. Yeah. Right? That just, that's not consistent with natural law. That doesn't happen. So that must not have happened. Right? Right. I mean, we didn't allow for supernatural intervention when we talk about miracles. Nor should we with the resurrection. So the resurrection can't be a supernatural act from God that came down and superseded natural laws and caused this dead body to raise. Can't be that. The interesting thing is that the empty tomb is mentioned in the Gospels, but they're the latest documents we have. They're never mentioned by Paul. The empty tomb is never mentioned by Paul, who does describe her as a risen Christ, but never talks about the, the tomb being empty. Not only that, the stories of the early the empty tomb are very dubious. Like they're, they're inconsistent. There's expansions, elaborations, and gaps in all the accounts to the gospels, right? So I'll, I'll let you know. So it's like, okay, what, what is this, right? So yeah. in Mark, we, we talked to this before, the earliest gospel, of Mark. They, the woman run to the tomb and there's a young man standing there, saying, Jesus is not here, and that's it. That's how the gospel ends. <laughs> Except later on, some people put a bunch, of, a bunch of stories in Mark. They added to the text about how Jesus appeared to people. Mm. And then the later gospels, they add stuff. So in Matthew, there's an earthquake, there's guards at the tomb, um, and then Jesus comes and appears to the 11 disciples in Galilee. That's what happens in Luke and then, sorry, Matthew. And then in Luke, he adds the Ascension, where Jesus like goes on a trip through outer space. Right? (laughs) Um, And there's no Galilee appearance. And there's one angel in Mark and Matthew, and there's two angels in Luke and and John. So they're adding angels. Mm. Not cool. Not cool. Well, it's it's an evolving narrative, right? and then John, John, the last gospel, of course, who takes the most liberties, adds the convo with the conversation with Mary Magdalene, the wager of Peter, the gathering of all the disciples in the upper room where they're all scared, and Jesus appears, says, Peace be with you. And the story of Daddy Thomas. Now here's the thing later on, another chapter was added to John by later generations. And in that chapter, Jesus gives special powers to Peter now what who does that <laughs> well I mean look like I said this is a mythic society these are mythic things written by mythic minded people Yeah. you know they don't have the same boundaries that we do of like what's true and what's not true and what's miraculous and what's not miraculous it's kind of just like merged together into what person like it's like being in a personal relationship with someone you love it's all kind of messy mm-hmm. you know it's like that for them um, and you get the story of Peter and I always thought this story was really dramatic even though it was added later because uh, you know, Jesus, Peter denied Jesus three times. I think that was true. And then Jesus comes and says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Now, if you're Peter, you're like, dude, you're feeling guilty, right? He's mm-hmm. like, you betray someone. You're like, I'm so guilty. Like a dog is guilty. You're like, guilty, right? And the guy says, do you love me? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> and they ask again, do you love me? And then, you know, you think of your Peter, like, dude, he's asking me again. And he says, yeah. He says, do you love me? And he's like, dude. Yes. You know, he's just so, you know, it's, it's such a human vulnerable moment, which is, you know, really indicative of, of who Peter was, which is interesting since later the popes are supposed to be infallible, you know, mm-hmm. which is kind of a whole other subject. Anyway, I'm kind of off topic, but I just that's, I don't know why that story just reaches me. So if indeed like the body getting up and moving out of the tomb, the empty tomb story isn't to be accepted. What have we got? Well, there's still the problem, or not the problem, but the reality of this. Something happened. There was some experience that happened to these disciples. And it's interesting when you look at Paul, this is the earliest testimony about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians. He never mentions the tomb or the woman that go to the tomb. Um, Back then, it may have been because Women were not allowed to testify at a court of law back then. I thought I'd get more of a reaction out of you for that. A little more. It's just not shocking. Witnesses. Yeah, like that just yeah. is like just the unreliable. Way it goes. That is reliable like us men are. <laughs> but anyway, so there's nothing in Paul about that. Paul never mentions the empty tomb at all. The only importance is that somehow Jesus revealed himself, and when he describes it. He talks about how jesus like he envisioned jesus as like a powerful spiritual experience right so um, jesus was transformed um, like i had a transformed body right in this in this spiritual experience that paul's having he speaks of the body of glory or the spirit body or it, it's sort of like it's a it's a body that exists in god and with god and, and now we're getting past past our whole methodology, right? The mm-hmm. historical critical thing, because what they're claiming is a, like a spiritual experience, um, which is something we can't really reach in this context, but except to note that the people are claiming that they have it. And and so it, what Paul's thinking is, he's like, he's Jesus' renewed body is existing outside of time and space. He, he's with God, but in a totally renewed way. Um, I probably shouldn't say this in this context but remember when johnny died Mm -hmm. right my brother died it was Mm -hmm. like a decade ago and i had this you know and i'm a spiritual dude right Mm -hmm. i had this sense of john you know i kind of understand what paul's talking about like but it was different john like a much bigger more incomprehensible like still himself but just without boundaries something you know what i mean it's Mm -hmm. hard to describe but i've had that sense sense and i think that's what he's trying to say here about his experience of jesus and that's what the disciples were claiming about their experience of jesus so while it wasn't a historical event for these people it was a real experience and it was very possible for paul in the case of the risen jesus that he might have assumed that the body remained in the tomb because it wasn't an event in 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 time and space but rather you know a faith-based event um that was felt by the people at the time and transform them into different people with a different mindset and a different mission and certainly we see that manifest in the historical record like these guys went everywhere right and there's tens of thousands of christians just a very short time um so i had here that the empty tomb itself doesn't provide proof of resurrection no one ever started believing that jesus was god because of the empty tomb in fact, even having an empty tomb doesn't mean that Jesus was raised from the dead, right? I mean, you could steal the body. The disciples could have gotten together and said, let's make a plan about like, yeah. establishing, mm-hmm. following this guy by claiming that he's risen from the dead. So, you know, in and of itself, that physical evidence wouldn't prove anything even if there was an empty tomb. Science, and this is where I'm running to the end of what I've got for today, um, but it's interesting to think about what science is versus... And what we're doing here is a historical critical examination versus versus the concept of spiritual experience or faith, as it were, right? And that means accepting your spiritual experience. So science doesn't really go there. Yeah. You know, I think at the end of the day, it's like this experience that's claimed. I mean, you guys have told me that you have spiritual experience. I think you did at least, of some kind. Did you tell me that? Or do you have none?
1: No, I don't think that's me. You don't have none? No. You have zero. Like,
0: no, there's no sensibility of spirituality that you experience. No. You don't have that. Have I've, that you know?
1: I've had, like, weird, like, deja vu-type moments yeah. uh-huh. that I guess, like, some... I feel like some people do take that as, like, spiritual, but I don't. But uh-huh. I've never had something where I'm like, oh, my goodness. That's, like, never happened
0: right. to me.
1: Not you, you don't have any... I do, but, like... I don't know how to explain it. But you're wary
0: it. of translating that into an organized religion-based way. Yeah, yeah.
2: I think that spirituality is real, but I don't think it's like cut and dry, like religion.
0: What do you think it is?
2: Like a f- energy.
0: Hmm. What do you mean?
2: I don't know. You don't know how to explain it.
0: Well, you should think about it, because we're going to stop now. But the next time, I'm going a- we're gonna finish and what we're gonna talk about is, okay, This is there's no scholar that disagrees with this idea that the real origin of Christianity came after Christ's death. That's when it really started Mm -hmm. because that event, at least as it was experienced by the disciples at the time, was a transformational experience and everything that we've talked about so far was thrown into a different light and the understanding was different and the philosophy was different, and the concept of Jesus was different. He became identified with the message, right? Mm. So next time I want to talk about that. And that's really what we'll be done, exploring the origins of Christianity. Oh. But, oh. but I want to hear from you guys about what you think. So think about it. I'm not asking if you're a Christian or not, but just kind of like what you're thinking after mm. hearing all this stuff over all these months. And then I'll get the last word.
1: Okay, Because I did all the
0: work. You guys just carried up the chairs. But but I think the, the chairs are happy.
2: <laughs> 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 Look at Bruce. <laughs>
0: that's not Bruce, that's Floyd. Oh, right. right. We've had so many cats. Bruce ran away. Sorry to say.
2: And Clive jumped out the window.
0: So we'll get to it one more time, and that'll be it? Yep. Okay. Should we say goodbye to Bob?
2: Aww, Aww, we Bob, we didn't even greet you today. I know. We? I, I wish Bob. That's he's messed su- up. You
0: know what? He's very subtle. Yeah. He is. yeah. he's like a, He's subtle. Yeah. He's like a, a whisper. Of, yeah. A whisper yeah. But without him, what would we be?
2: <laughs> we just be three losers <laughs> the talking about George Christianity. What's
1: George Michael song, Something Whisper? Oh. Careless
0: Whisper. Careless Whisper. Yeah. We were careless with our whisperer. Yes. Yes. Well, let's say goodbye to him. Bye, Bob. Bye, bye, bye Bob. Bob. Thanks again. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Origins of Christianity. I'm Mike Sullivan, and I hope you enjoyed this latest episode. If you haven't done so already, I'd like to encourage you to hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen to this. And by all means, please feel free to leave an honest written review as well. There's so much more on the way next time. So stay tuned and I'll look forward to talking with you again soon.